there is an accountability yet. I don't know if there ever will be with respect to Shopify because it really is just kind of a website, you know, service, right? It's right. not, but it's your content, your store, your payment processor. It is truly yours. So it is really up to you as a Shopify store owner to know what you're required, what's required of you. Welcome to the Smartest Podcast, a show that is dedicated to helping you achieve success. I'm your host, John Colderize Lawson, entrepreneur and best-selling author. In this episode, you will hear from one of the most successful people in the world. So get ready to improve yourself by learning from those who have already found success. Yo guys, what's up? This is your boy, John. And of course, keeping it smart as always with the smartest people I know on the planet. I've got somebody on the other end. He's going to introduce himself. His name is Paul. Paul, tell him who you are and why we should listen to you. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, my name is Paul Rappleson. I'm an attorney and I've been, I'm a former Amazon seller from 20 years ago, back in the day. I was paying my way through law school, selling on Amazon uh, and learned a little bit about e-commerce early in life, kind of walked away from it, worked in corporate law for a number of years for some really big companies like Microsoft and GE and even Walmart. Um, and then just by accident, you know, started, started with a blog post and, uh, snowballed into the realization that, you know, this new crop of Amazon sellers, you know, circa, you know, 2012 onward, um, basically anyone who's kind of building a business with fulfillment by Amazon and then kind of broadening out the e-commerce that they need some representation that there was a serious lack of sort of lawyers who just really understand the needs of e-commerce sellers holistically, not just in one specific area, like suspensions or trademark, but just overall, like everything that they kind of need A to Z, um, pun intended, I guess. And that's kind of how I, I got here. And we, yeah, so we just kind of have a couple offerings for Amazon sellers. And we are also um, very much advocates for our, for, for our community. So we do, uh, I've read Supreme Court briefs on issues affecting e-commerce. I've taken cases to the federal court. Uh, we may have a case going to the Supreme Court. We were the number one cited resource in the antitrust investigation at Amazon. So we do, we also do some advocacy work for the community. So we actually care about the community that we support and try to be on top of the issues and front of the issues and try to guide the issues, you know, with, with e-commerce in mind uh, through through a number of efforts that we've done. So I don't know, that's, I don't know if that's a good concise explanation, but I guess it's an explanation. So that's, hopefully that's people find it. concise. Let me ask you this question. I mean, because, you know, I've been in, in, in the e-com world for a minute and even prior to Amazon, you know, uh, being mm -hmm. uh, the beast in the space. Do you find that all e-commerce businesses need as much legal services as Amazon businesses seem to? I think there's an extra. I think there. I think. I think that, you know, with Amazon and their platform and their rules, especially, they're very over the years they've grown. You kind of have to look at the accountability. When Amazon was early on in the process, you know, they were very good at convincing the world that they were not accountable for anything. They're just sort of this, you know, eBay esque, you know, Craigslist almost, you know, 
marketplace, you know, that, that, that you know, a bazaar. Um, and so they're just bringing buyers and sellers together, but they're not transacting, which is obviously ridiculous. But um, we've talked about that during the sales tax issue when we were, when they were saying, you know, who's my customer and who, you know, who's the retailer. Um, but that doesn't just apply to tax. I mean, that, that can apply to personal injury that can apply to infringement cases. Um, but as the courts have actually changed and kind of caught up to Amazon realized, yeah, that is kind of a, kind of a weak argument, Amazon that you're making that you don't have to comply with the laws and just kind of can create a free for all, uh, in your platform. That sort of, I think has prompted more Amazon sellers to take things seriously because they have to, they don't have a choice. Whereas if you compare that to your typical Shopify seller, and I say Shopify, you know what I mean? I mean, website right. seller, yeah. right? I, it's sort of the Xerox of website seller. I sort of said that word has become the Xerox, has been Xerox, you know, for those of you who are too young, Xerox, when copy machines first came out, they were called the Xerox machine, right? So I kind of think Shopify is kind of has the same connotation, I think, in the industry. It's like, we know what you mean. So anyway, yet here I am explaining it. But anyway, going back to Shopify, uh, there it really is. I mean, there I, there is an accountability yet. I don't know if there ever will be with respect to Shopify because it really is just kind of a website, you know, service, right? It's right. not, but it's your content, your store, your payment processor. It is truly yours. So it is really up to you as a Shopify store owner to know what you're required, what's required of you. Um, and there's nobody out there really prompting you to do st certain things. So Whereas with Amazon, you're being prompted, you're being punished. If you don't, you have to comply, right? Because if you don't, you're, you're at risk. So it's, it's really important when you're on Amazon because you're sort of a guest in their house. So they expect you to, you know, follow their rules and, and do the things that they want it done. So whether that's having insurance, whether that's um, environmental compliance, FDA compliance, all those things. So I don't think it's different. I don't think they're, the, the, the obligations are different. I just think Shopify sellers don't, care as much they just don't and it's not because they don't care it's just they don't they're not prompted to care and so they may not actually know so my short answer is almost almost the same but there is one difference there's also the issue of like amazon suspensions which isn't really a legal issue it's something there's sometimes there's some legal you know intertwining if you've got ip infringement leading to a suspension but you know account and ace suspensions on amazon to me I guess that's the one extra kick that makes Amazon a little bit more complicated that we have. And we, I mean, we have a whole business around that, just helping people through that. So that's part of what we do. Um, but I do think, I, I mean, I think a lot of our clients are multi-channel. I, I think there's a whole number of Shopify sellers. I don't, we don't know yet. We actually want to know or eBay sellers, right? We just want to, you know, um, people who really just though where their primary uh, channel is not Amazon. We have very few people in our, sort of client book, I would say, who are, who fit that bucket. We have, we definitely have some, but it's definitely not the majority of our clients. The majority of our clients are multi-channel dominant Amazon, typically. Interesting. All right. So let's get into, you know, um, what you guys have done with Seller Basics. Tell sure. me a little bit about what it is and why it even exists. So Seller Basics is sort of a legal plan slash suspension protection plan for e-commerce businesses. So it's based on like the old school legal plans that I used to have when I was at Microsoft or G where you could, you know, basically for a small monthly payment, you would have access to legal, but it's more, that was more for a personal level. So for example, 
you know, it might be like $20 uh, or $12 a paycheck. I forget how it was like $20 a month or something. It was, it was much cheaper. You had a lawyer. If you were like buying a house and you wanted a lawyer, they would give, it actually give you a lawyer, right? Um, if you had an issue, a question about, you know, something specific and legal in your life, they would always give you a free consultation with a lawyer. There'd you know, be a list of participating lawyers and you could get help. And so kind of borrowing from that, we built that Seller Basics kind of to be that program on the one spectrum. And then on the other side, we built it to be sort of suspension protection. So the idea that you're paying $100 a month or $99 a month, and you're getting access to legal counsel. And if your account goes down, if you have an account issue with Amazon, Walmart, Shopify, you know, you name it, but mainly it's Amazon, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if you have an account or ASIN issue or any issue really relating to Amazon, that's sort of a covered thing that, that our team at Seller Basics will then go in and kind of help you do whatever they can to help you try and get restated. Um, and that's led by Joy Williams, who's a, you know, a known person in the e-commerce world. Um, and so she does, she, she and the team do a great job helping our clients uh, get reinstated. So, and I, and I have an interesting view on that because as a lawyer, I think the best value in this program is the fact that you get access to lawyers for, for complimentary consultations. Because in my experience, John, when my clients have really complicated legal issues and the kind of legal issues that like they wish they'd just done it differently, um, that sort of regret was so preventable and and it's preventable in like a way where, you know, I had met that client 15 minutes before they'd made that call. call. If I had a chance to talk to that client for 15 minutes before they'd made that decision, it wouldn't have happened that way. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole sort of ounce of prevention theory that you've got this lawyer, these lawyers on call, the cost is contained. It's a hundred dollars a month. We're not, you know, for basic, just quick consultations, you're not paying, you know, there's no bill, right. That you can get from those consultations. Right. Um, and the idea is like, here's this, you know, so, so I always want the e-commerce sellers to use the, the platform and get preventative advice because our law firm really, really focuses on keeping our clients out of trouble, out of court. Like, you know, we're not a courtroom law firm. That's the last place any small business owner should be is in a courtroom. So it's really about ounce of prevention, um, you know, is, is better than pound of cure. So that's my approach. And then of course, you know, people love the suspension aspect of it because as you know, like historically, you know, going back to when I started in e-commerce law, which was probably 2017. I mean, I mean, the cost of suspension could cost you $10,000, right? It could yeah. be 3,000, 4,000, then the appeal to Jeff Bezos's law email address, which was like a Supreme Court appeal. I mean, they, I, I saw ridiculous numbers and it's just not, not that complicated most of the time. And, and so that's we created, on top, and that's on top of the interruption of your, you know, income, right? Sales, right? And so it, it's an obvious move. Like it's an obvious, like the pricing model is a little bit, I'm not gonna say predatory, but I mean it's it's inherently like you're in a really bad situation. Your livelihood has just been put on pause, you know, temporarily, maybe permanently. You don't know, and you're freaking out. And, and, and somebody comes to you and says, I've got insiders at Amazon, or I know it's like, and they say, and it's, you know, for $10,000, I can, I think I can get you reinstated. Right. Um, that's not a, you know, that's, that's a lot, you know, and it's, it's, it's just, you know, but you're in your hour of need, like you're going to do that. Like a lot of people. And so we took the position, well, there are, sometimes there are cases that are hard, you know? Um, it's not just templates. It's a little bit more than templates. It's, it's actually what I find the trick to suspensions being a lot of times just reading the rules, 
um, and understanding them and, and, and just speaking in a certain way. But it's not like, it's not a $10,000 project most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so with our model, it's like, okay, at $100 a month, you're not, you, you already have a plan. You have somebody you can call, a team that will respond very quickly, get your appeals out, help you through whatever issue you need, right? And you're not paying extra for that. That's just $100 a month. So you're not getting sort of like gouged in your time of need, um, in your time of crisis. And you've got people who know this stuff working for you. Um, I think it's a good value. I think, I mean, anyone certainly selling on Amazon um, and for many, many clients we've helped um, and members we've helped, I think it's a good value. And I, like I said, I think the lawyer part's the better value, but, but you can see we've taken an insurance model approach, right? Like, you know, I, I think, you know, Suspensions probably overall cost us more money to do, but when you're spreading it over, you know, a membership where people are paying hundred dollars a month, you're sort of risk pooling. So it's not insurance, but you can certainly see how we borrowed the mathematics from insurance in terms of how we can price it at just hundred dollars a month and, you know, keep our clients protected. No matter how many times they get suspended, no matter how many times their ACE gets suspended, retail arbitragers love us because we've been fighting back on those pesky IP claims like crazy. These uh, brands are trying to stop you from selling on Amazon, even though you're selling authentic product. We've really pushed the envelope on those and, and, and pushing back on against the brands. We've actually had brands, we've actually had Amazon revoke brands, uh, brand registry rights based on some of their activities that they've been doing. So we've really changed the game for retail arbitrage. So a lot of the resellers love us, obviously, because we're really, we're really in their corner on that issue. How pervasive is uh, subs- suspension? I mean, of course, you know, hey, I'm in the community, you're in the community, we understand that, but maybe people that are not as familiar or just getting started, it, 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 is this something you need? How how often are people getting suspended on Amazon? Very often. Now, it has shifted. So it's kind of used to be back in the day, like any any little mess up could lead to a full account shutdown lockout. I mean, it was just bad, right? It's gotten better, right? So we see less on the account suspension side, but more ASIN level suspensions. Um, but like if you're doing retail arbitrage, for example, which is yeah. you know a portion of what we deal with, yeah. right? And we, we do, like your risk is very high because the brands are actively trying to stop you from reselling the products. And so they're telling Amazon, you're selling counterfeit, you're doing this. And, you know, it could be, you know, one brand filing and, you know, if you're selling, you know, five different SKUs of one brand that could take your, with these new scores that Amazon has, that could take your score down to zero, get you locked out, get you a 72 hour notice in in no time. So it still happens Um, for, for private label brand owners, still a lot of ASIN suspension. It can be claims on the listing. It can be um, non-compliance with the various rules, such as like FDA crackdown has been huge on Amazon lately. We've seen a ton of like products that need to be FDA compliant that are not. Um, and people realizing it for the first time, they're calling again, which had they called us up three years ago, we could have had a conversation about that, but we're meeting them for the first time when they're down. So it's not great. Um, but there's always something. So I, I'd say it's pretty common. I mean, it's still, ace. it's just more at the ASIN level, less at the full account shutdown level like what we used to see, but still pretty prevalent. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, that's a big difference. You know, uh, at, at one point they would just shut the entire body down when you had a, you know, a fingernail hanging, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And it was just, yeah. yeah, it was, 
you know, fishing the tuna net kind of thing. It was it was really, really bad. So I'm I'm glad to hear that uh some of that is changing and some of the things that uh you guys are fighting with and, and the efforts that you guys are doing um to kind of uh help with the overlords because I mean if I go into Walmart and I find your brand on sale or I find it, you know, discounted, and I pick that up and take it to Amazon, I have every right to do that. You know, you can't shut me down because it happens to be your brand. I bought it, it, I own it, I can resell it, right? Is that, am I wrong for thinking that? <laughs> uh, well, here, here's here's our take on it. So there is some lack of clarity in the law, and I've talked to the FTC about this, and unfortunately they're 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 so out to get Amazon lately that I'm not sure they're seeing the the force of the trees here, mm. but they kind of think that there's something about selling somebody else's brand on Amazon as a form of infringement. And there is this sort of, so, so let's go back to that idea. What you're talking about is what's known as the first sale doctrine that, you know, once the product is sold, I legally own it. I, 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 I have the right to resell it. That's a pretty strong right that you have. Right. And that's pretty much what eBay is. And that's what a yard sale is. Right. Could you imagine if, you know, I buy, you know, this Apple charging block and I'm having a yard sale and some Apple corporate, you know, lawyer shows up and says, you're not allowed to resell this, you know, because you're not authorized. You know, like, you know, it would really have a real chilling effect in our ability to just be human beings, right, in a society um, and conduct business with one another on a private level. So the first sale doctrine clearly protects that. Where you run into issues, and this is sort of an Amazon specific thing and less of an eBay thing, is that Amazon is with Prime... The customer, and this was an interesting case, it was a Williams and Sonoma case from years ago that unfortunately settled, but um, the argument is, you know, with Prime especially, that the customer doesn't really know that they're buying from, you know, John Lawson versus, you know, directly from the manufacturer or their authorized dealer network. Uh, and what the, what the brands try to do is they try to create these distinctions. Like, if you buy from John Lawson, you don't get our warranty, which is super awesome, right? So it, your, your version of that product, therefore, becomes materially different. The other argument, which I love this one, is the quality control argument, that you don't follow the same quality control regime as these guys. Now, to that, I would say, next time you're in a Walmart clearance rack, take a picture where you in the condition in which you found it. Tell me they really care about quality control, right? <laughs> show me that one. But these are these arguments that they make to try to show that their version is materially different. And what that does is it sort of, the argument is you're not supposed to be selling in the new category. Um, the flip side of that is is to say, well, you know, some of this stuff is really pretext to get around map enforcement because you can't really enforce map. Like you can't actually sue somebody for violating map. What you mm -hmm. can do when you deal with a map violator who's in your the dealer network, authorized dealer network, is you can stop selling to them. You can take them out of your network, but that doesn't have any impact on what a non-authorized dealer can do, right? So that's sort of the, the, the issues that we're dealing with, but where it all kind of comes to head is really, okay, well, what does Amazon have to say? Amazon's policy is we think the first sale doctrine allows us to resell, even though if you read their policy, new should mean with warranty, but you know, again, is it, is it unfair for the, is it like an unfair deceptive practice maybe to get rid of the warranty and say that it doesn't count? Because I mean, how does it work when you give somebody a gift? If I gift somebody a North Face fleece, does the warranty no longer apply because it was a gift? So these arguments are kind of weak and 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 and, and sort of, but but really, well, maybe they're weak but, because there, there's been some cases that have gone the other way, and we'll get into that. But the idea is, 
as far as Amazon is concerned, if you read their policies, their intellectual property policy and their seller code of conduct, they will tell you, in their opinion, it is not a violation of the first. It is a, it is a, sorry, let me rephrase. It is a protected activity to do that resale that you just talked about where you go to Walmart, you sell on Amazon. It's protected on the first sale doctrine. Amazon believes the first sale doctrine. And what they go on to say is that it basically is considered a violation of seller code of conduct and Amazon's IP policy to use brand registry takedown tools to, to knock somebody off. So whenever somebody gets like counterfeit without a test buy, you know, but our client has the documentation showing that they acquired it from Walmart, Marshalls, you know, good, good sourcing, right? Like that's the, that's the one hinge is you got to have good sourcing. If you buy it from like a liquidator, that's not a great, because you, you have a chain of custody problem. You can't really show where you got it from and that was authentic. So you kind of run into issues there. Same thing if you're buying it from, you know, like I said, liquidation pallets or um, Goodwill store. But if you're buying from Marshalls, TJ Maxx, you know, Kroger, you know, anywhere where those, you know, you're buying from places that are multi-blink, you know they're not going to be, you know, engaged in selling counterfeits. Um, Amazon accepts those docu that documentation, you know, in lieu of invoices, but not always on the first try. So that's something our team deals with on a regular basis. Okay. Um, and then, you know, what we do is if, the, you know, we'll also at the same time tell the brand, hey, look, you need to retract. Um, and if, if Amazon catches wind and that's sort of, this is our leverage that the brand is using brand registry to take down a seller who's selling authentic products. Um, and that this looks more like controlling distribution, then Amazon will may take action, uh, and has, uh, against the brand by removing their brand registry enforcement rights, basically like de declawing them at that point, because they, they're recognizing that they're being abusive. So that, so, so as far as your conduct on Amazon is concerned, that's protect, that is sort of protected, but could a brand send you a letter from a law firm and scare the crap out of you and say, Hey, stop doing what you're doing. Absolutely. That is not abuse on Amazon because that's not happening via Amazon. It's not stopping you from selling on Amazon. What it does do and may do is scare you out of wanting to sell that product in the future or that brand in the future. So we, again, part of Seller Basics is when our clients get those letters, as they do very often, especially if they're in resale, um, they get, you know, they can have a consultation with us. We can go over the letter with them and just make sure that they're understanding of what the letter says and what the risks are. And, and, and if their decision is, you know, hey, I want to just sell through and move on to another brand because the trick to reselling is usually to go wide, cast a wide net, not to go deep in any one brand. Um, we can help them through that. And that's included in the, in the $100 a month program. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of an all you need program for most things. And then if you need more, if, if, if something is more complicated, obviously then it's, you know, we, you get a discounted rate with the law firms that work. Our law firms, one of them, a couple other law firms that work with seller basics. Um, and, and we help you manage that process. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the only thing you can't do is like, you know, because you get free consultations with lawyers, like let's say we do a lot of brand exits. We do a lot of M&A. We've helped a lot of our clients sell their business. Um, you couldn't be a seller basics member and say, hey, you know, I'm going to do a 15 minute consultation on how to sell my business from a legal standpoint, then do another one, then do another. You can't just, you know, tack them on if it's the same issue over again. You know, obviously, that's a different engagement. But okay. um, but Thanks, yeah, so I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just M&A is, is a, doing an exit deal is, is a complicated process and so it's not going to be something that can be solved in 15 minutes but um of course you know but certainly if you wanted to have that conversation i mean we do that for free anyway we always have we're always happy to kind of coach people at the start of their exit process if they're brand owners and explain them what it's like to sell their business and what should they be thinking about first and where should they go in first and all those things 
So, so I want to just tap into your uh, expertise and wisdom here a little bit and just talk about the uh, FTC and Amazon and the government and uh, just kind of get your take on do you think there will be a breakup of the Amazon system at some level coming forward or, you know, what, what's your, what's your, what's your read here? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think they want to, but I don't think they will. And the legislation that they tried to pass, we found it to be ineffective anyway. Um, and we were very vocal about that. So I run this nonprofit, you know, where we do the advocacy called online merchants guild and that's how we kind of were involved in the FTC stuff and we're submitting uh, documents to the, to the committee. But at the end of the day, what I didn't like about what, what's interesting about Amazon, it's been a while since we spoke, but you, you kind of remember, remember when we like sales tax and, and they would say, we're not a store, we're just a platform. Yeah. You remember that? Okay. Mm -hmm. So you go back and read Amazon's uh, submissions to the antitrust committee. Like it was eye opening because if you see what they're saying, have you noticed their wording has changed? They now call it the Amazon store, our selling partners who sell in the Amazon store. Okay. Which is very much like contrary to what they were saying for sales tax or other right. things. Right. So now why is it a store? So it's like they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. But come 2019, sort of when the first when they had the first uh, hearing and, and, and submitted testimony, all of a sudden Amazon's wording for how they describe the marketplace. It's no longer a platform, it's no longer a marketplace, it's the Amazon store. They're inviting you into the Amazon store. And it's really important to understand what that distinction means because it's 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 a it's a window into Amazon's like litigation defense strategy coming from a former Microsoft guy, right? Um, you know who's been through antitrust before. So what Amazon's trying to say, sort of politely, is like we're not really doing anything different than any other store. If you look at us from the perspective of a store, if you look at us like a platform and say, yeah, we're using data to compete against our sellers, you know, yeah, sure. You could say that that's unfair, but what, are we doing that? And what they'll do is they'll say things like, take for example, you know, they don't literally say this, but they're sort of you read between the lines. What they're trying to say is this: like, have you ever been to Costco? I don't, I don't know if you have Costco where you are, or Sam's Club, or or BJ. Or have you ever been to like? I'm a I Sam's guy. Yeah, you're a Sam's guy. Okay, so that's Members Mark, right? So you ever see like the Members Mark detergent that's like blue, and it's sitting next to the like, the Downy? Yeah. Right. Okay, so Amazon's argument is that, you know, using the data to compete against another, you know, that's just like exactly the same thing as sort of a store break, right? Mm. Store, and that's sanctioned retail behavior that's never been considered anti-competitive. In fact, it's very good for the consumer because it brings prices down, right? Creates competition. And they're trying to say, that's all we're doing here. So all these arguments that we're competing against our sellers, you know, despite the fact that they're saying they're not using any individual data, just aggregated data, aggregated data, it's like, even if they did all those things, they're like, we're store and stores are allowed to do those things. And, you know, the idea of, you know, I had suggested sort of, which is what Amazon's doing now back in like 2018, I wrote an editorial in CNN that was about um, opening up Prime to Shopify sellers or website sellers, right? And they actually are doing that now. So right. now Shopify owners can do buy with Prime, which is something that we thought you know, because if America is addicted to prime and two day delivery, then wouldn't it be great if you could run sort of prime delivery on your Shopify store as a way to kind of level, get people out of the Amazon, get those sort of prime addicted people out of 
uh, into other websites and other stores mm-hmm. where you can keep your data. And that's actually Amazon's doing that voluntarily. And I think that's why I think they're, they're trying to, but their argument again, there is like, well, you're not going to take Walmart's massive logistics system away. So you're not going to take ours. Like, you're not, so I, I just don't think the breakup is realistic. And, and the way the legislation was written, it was really written for online platforms and Amazon's positioning that there are stores is really important here because what they're saying is, it's all well and good that you wrote this law about breaking up online platforms, but we're a store. We're a store like Walmart, we're a store like Nordstrom, we're a store like, you know, Target. And when you look at this from that perspective, we're not that much bigger or smaller than any, you know, we're just kind of in this, you know, we're, we're there, we're not, we're not as big as Walmart. We're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're an okay store, right? And you could even hear Congress, right, during the bill reconciliation, when they were trying to get that legislation passed, um, you can even hear Congress, like the lobbyists of Amazon got to Congress, because I think it was, I don't know who it was from California, but it was, might have been Feinstein. I can't remember who it was, but it was, it was House, so it wasn't, wouldn't have been Feinstein. But, um, but it was just really funny that like they were repeating that, that mantra, that they were comparing Amazon to Nordstrom and saying that, you know, Amazon's no dis- different to Nordstrom. We're not trying to break them up. Why are we trying to break Amazon up? Um, so I, I think all of this sort of identified the flaw in the legislation that they were trying to pass to begin with. Um, so I didn't, and, and my point was to the committee was like, this is just going to lead to like 10 years of litigation. It's not going to get us anywhere. Our, our position was we just want sort of a seller bill of rights. We want oh. Amazon to conduct business in a certain way. That's fair, predictable, right? Not totally one-sided, but you know, that they didn't like that. They wanted to, they really, you know, I think Lena Khan really wanted to push Amazon and, and kind of, you know, she wrote this very famous uh, law, uh, law review article in Yale. And, and I think now that she's in that position, that's what she wanted to do, but it's just, it's not happening, right? It's, it's just not. Um, and I don't know if you saw yesterday or the other day that there was a big enforcement against a, a, a supplement company, Nature's Bounty or Bounty Supplement Company. Okay. Um, and it was the first time the FTC came down on, on the seller for, you know, it's a big seller, but they were basically consolidating, they were basically hijacking their own listings. So a product that had good reviews, but then like kind of wasn't selling, they would like replace it with a different product so that, that the new product would, would inherit the reviews of the older of product. The product. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the FTC came crashing down on them. So, I mean, now they're looking at, looks like they're forced, they're looking at sellers, not Amazon, which is unfortunate because Amazon kind of created the environment to, right, right. to sort of Wow. Shoot. Yeah. There was That's a big, crazy. there was a big press release about that the other day. I think it was yesterday. Definitely. So I'm, I have little faith in that the FTC is going to do much at this point. And then you look at, okay, where are we two years from now? I, I don't know. I mean, politically, I mean, does Biden get reelected? It is, you know, like I, I hate politics and I, I don't take sides. I just, I just try to be agnostic. But I'm just saying, as a observer, does an 82 year old president get reelected? I don't know. So if not, who does get reelected? And does that, if that's not a Democrat, then I, I just don't. I, I think there's. You see what I'm saying? Like, like that could be. It could be an uphill battle. Or so. Like Amazon may coast through this a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that makes sense. Makes sense now. And and the store thing, I didn't catch that. But uh, now that you pointed out, I definitely hear it. You know, but I didn't realize that that was a big, you know, catalyst for them to be able to do things and compare themselves 
to, like you said, the regular shelving on the store, you're going to see the, the you know, the store brand right next to the, uh, in, the, the normal labeled brand. You know, there's always right. a private label, you know, I got private label um, uh, green beans in my cabinet right now from Kroger. You know, there you go. Right, exactly. And so, they, do you think Kroger looked at the uh, uh, Green Giant numbers before deciding to go into you know the private label? Absolutely. Labels? So, yes, right? they know they exactly comparing? how many of yes. those were being sold, and exactly. I'm sure it hurt the Green Giant guys' uh, market share a little bit. You know, so exactly. it makes sense. So, makes and, sense. And it's it's really. It's funny because, you know, the whole idea of Amazon competing against sellers, like I know people who've been hurt by that. I, yeah. I do. Yeah. But if you look at the data and look at the numbers realistically, it really isn't that big a deal. Like it, it, it's sort of, it was, I was talking to a PhD uh, student or something who was writing an article about, you know, an economics person who was writing an article about this and then raised a great point. He was saying that, you know, when you break down Amazon's private label business, and you take once you take batteries and clothing out of the out of the picture, it's literally nothing. It's it's a rounding error for a company of that size, right? Mm -hmm. Compared to the you know probably what 180, 200 billion of seller sales, third party seller sales that happen on Amazon's platform now, or something. I mean, something ridiculous like that. So it's it's a very polarizing story to tell to say, oh, Amazon started competing against me, but it's not by any means like, in our opinion, the biggest threat to Amazon sellers these days right. because it really is not happening as much as you know. Um, did it happen for sure? Yeah. Does it, did it happen on a scale that's put? No. The bigger threat is always just sort of you know China versus America, and then it's more about like you know when sellers in China sell on the platform. I mean, Amazon creates this environment where they can kind of benefit because they don't have to play by the same rules because there, there is, and, and I think that's more of a product of the federal government's fault than Amazon. Amazon's just sort of saying, yeah, that is the situation. Now this is changing over time, but um, when you're in China, you don't have to care about the rules. You don't care about what the products are made out of. You don't care because at the end of the day, your risk is so little. There's no enforcement right. risk when you're in China and you're selling in the States, right? Um, imagine if you and I started selling in Estonia right now, like I don't think I'd be worried about violating Estonian law. Would you? Mm, you know what I mean? No, like, right. it's just not, it's inherently we're in a bit, you're in, an, in, in a better protected position to sell overseas. So from China's perspective, you know, yeah, they don't necessarily have to play by the rules so they can cut prices down. And it's great. And, and my read of Amazon is like this, and maybe you can disagree with me, but I, I look at Amazon like a Costco or Sam's Club. I, I think some Amazon executive in Seattle went to Costco and said, this is a great idea and came up with Prime. And I think Amazon really focuses on making sure Prime members are happy. And, it, and, it, and it's reflected in their behavior and conduct of what bothers sellers. Like, for example, this pricing thing, right? Where if your price on Amazon is, is in any way higher than any other internet advertised price for the right. same product. That was a that, problem. That's a problem. Because why? Because a Prime member could Google your product, right? And see it cheaper and say, why am I a Prime member if I can bet it cheaper, you know, this, this store for a lot less, right? So... Like Amazon, in my opinion, is obsessed with a prime member and will always make decisions in, for the benefit of the prime member. So like, for example, with the Amazon brand aggregators, like I'm not saying Amazon is the reason why a lot of them like Terrasio didn't work as well as they thought they would. But I do think the idea that you're going to come in and sort of dominate in a category is arrogant in this environment. Amazon loves the fact that it's a bit of a bizarre because it does make things cheaper. Now yeah, you've got the New the Yorker. 
Yeah, because it just creates that cutthroat competition. Yeah. And when you work for a company like Walmart, like you know that, like 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 price, you know, investing in price is the expression they use. Like it's all that matters. Like from their perspective, price is what drives the consumer behavior, and you've got to be low price, high volume. And Amazon's fine with that. And you got the new was it not the New Yorker, New York Magazine, I think it was. Um, wrote this article a couple of weeks ago saying that, you know, Amazon's just a schlocky, bizarre crap that, you know, sells a thousand spatulas, like, who need, you know, yeah, yeah. and I get it, but I, it's also a little bit, you know, yeah. from their perch, right? Like they, they, they clearly, the average reader of, the, of New York Magazine is not, you know, your average consumer who's struggling in this country. Like a lot of people struggle in this country. And so Amazon is a place to buy cheap stuff. And mm. China does a great job of providing- Flooding the market with cheap stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so, they do. <laughs> and that's how prime members win, right? Nobody, you know, if you get an avocado peeler for, for five bucks, you win, you know? So it's like right. kind of like, so that, that's how I see the market. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but um, it is changing. So, but yeah, I think the antitrust thing, it's kind of, it's kind of fizzling out. They didn't okay. pass legislation. And even if they did, it would never, I don't think it would work. I think it, we, we told them a hundred times, we, we wrote articles, we, we, there were articles written about us saying like this is just it's going to fail because we know amazon like we knew what amazon was doing that they're just reposit they're, they're just recalibrating themselves to be you know a store now not a marketplace interesting and as a store you know and you've got an equal protection problem because like like i said like if they're going to break up the amazon store then they may have to break up the walmart store or the target store right and that obviously was not in the agenda of the antitrust committee so um that's yeah, what, they, they were not good they lawyer. were not going all way so let me ask you this, you know, and this is kind of like the last question I always ask people, you know, because uh, it's been a great, great conversation. But is yes, there any question that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you about? Uh, I think I think we've covered everything. I mean, I, I'm always happy to talk about anything. Um, but no, I think I think I've covered everything. Um, yeah, we went we went the gambit on this. I didn't even know yeah. we were going to go this deep. I like it, man. This is what I like to do. I mean, this is like everything I do in life. It's like since I started this private practice has been to fuel my ability to do these other cool things, right? Like I, I have, I have a family. I've got a house. I got to pay a mortgage like everybody else. Like, you know, and I got a job and I work for these companies and they pay well and it's very cushy. So when I started in private practice, as long as I can keep my car, like my living, I want to do this because it's fun. These cases that we bring are so cutting edge and it's so mm. cool. And, and the issues that we get to, be a part of are so much fun. And, and, you know, while it's also for the good of the e-commerce community, it is, I mean, from a, from a legal nerd sort of perspective, I, I think it's fun. Like, it's just, it's just like, just is like just cool stuff. So, you know, I'm happy to do it, but uh, I'm always happy to talk about it. So cool, man. If people want to follow you, learn more about you or work with, you know, uh, seller basics, where do we need to go? So you just go to sellerbasis.com. You can sign right up. And if you're, you know, or if you just kind of want to work with our law firm, you can go to ecom.law. But uh, we love the Seller Basics program. Uh, we're happy to be a member law firm of that program. But, um, and and uh, you can find us on Facebook and follow follow me on Facebook. And uh, I'm, I haven't figured out my Insta presence yet. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old, man. I just, I just. Me either. You know, I, Who has, I, right? I, You'll 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 appreciate this. When I first started selling on Amazon, well, sorry, when I first started selling online, half.com was my jam, not Amazon. What? Right? Do you remember that one? <laughs> yes. Before I they bought e it, right? Yeah. 
No, it yes. was, I think eBay bought it too, and then eventually they just killed it, right? And they killed it, yes. Yeah, yeah. they got in there, they was like, okay, we're going to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, Half. I was flipping com. DVDs on Half.com, and then Z stores slowly crept in, like, the second year, and then that started to become more dominant, but no, nah, man, I used, to, I used to create lines at the post office in Philadelphia when I was a kid, you know, when I was in school, just, I'd, you know. Christmas time, I got 150 media mail DVDs to send, and it, it took forever. There was no printing your postage. There was no nope. any of that stuff. You had to do individual green slips on, you know, handwritten green slips. It was just, it was, you know. It's crazy. And, and Did you ever get coins taped to, you know, the page? Coins taped to the page? Yes. I used to actually get envelopes with coins taped to the page to pay for their shoelaces. You oh, know, gosh. it was like three bucks oh. back then. Yes. Gotcha. No, cash. I've never. I don't think cash. we ever accept. I don't think we ever accepted cash or check. I think by the time I was, it was because I was like oh three, right? Oh two, uh, oh three. So I think we were only doing credit cards. I don't think we accepted checks. Okay. Or cash. Okay. Yeah. We okay. might have done. We might have accepted checks. That's really funny. Dude, I would yeah, accept people, anything as long as it would work. You know. That's so funny. Yeah, people forget. Like you just have no idea what it was like. Yeah, and, they have you know, no idea. It's, the global so, small business man it's we are that didn't the concept of global small business did not exist until this this stuff started happening right yeah. i mean the idea that you could be a global small business and fba obviously was a big part of the catalyst that just took it to a whole nother level and that's i think what i missed out i was a little too early to the party because you know i'm like i'm making okay money but i'm like not enough to stop being a lawyer and like not you know i'm in law school i'm like i'm still gonna go be a lawyer now i'm not gonna go do this full time I, I didn't think you could and then when i saw fba i was like oh my god that's the way to now go. You can, yeah, you can really scale this thing. And that was yeah. really eye-opening for those of us just like, I, I mean, I had no idea. I was always, I was, I was doing mile hacking when I was 19 years old in the 90s. You know, I didn't, there, the word blog didn't get invented for, for six years before I, when I was mile hacking. You know what I mean? Like the, the wow. credit card miles. So I'm always a little too early to the party sometimes, I feel like. <laughs> and, you know, that's okay. Man, Paul, it's been great talking with you. I appreciate your candor and your wisdom on all these things when it comes to the legal uh, standpoint around being an e-commerce seller. And um, guys, look, definitely check out Seller Basics. I really believe for what you know they're offering to you just to have that in case of things coming up because there's always something going on in business where you need some legal advice this is probably a good, good thing for you to check out. All right. And with Thank that- Thank you so much. Man, we're here for now, guys. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Smartest Podcast. I hope you found that conversation helpful and inspiring. So be sure to subscribe and do not miss any future episodes. Until next time, enjoy your journey of success. Thanks for listening.